Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. And I'm still on heroin. <laughs> heroin Mike. It's heroin Keith from Rick and Morty. I don't think I look like a Keith, but maybe if I grew my hair out. Uh, I don't know. You kind of look like a Keith. But anyway. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> we're doing Train Spotting, episode two. We're doing our uh, deep dive into one of my favorite movies of all time. And if you've never seen this movie, I highly recommend going back an episode to the primer episode where you learn all about this movie, who it's for, when to watch it, all that fun stuff, where to check it out. And you're definitely going to want to hear our bit on that because it can be somewhat difficult to find. But yeah, this is the spoiler full discussion of Train Spotting. I think at this point, we're just going to dive right into it. And we're, I think we'll start in front of the camera and work our way back. Pew, pew, pew. So where do you want to start? Do you want to start with maybe some favorite scenes, favorite quotes, talk about like some of the the themes of the movie? Well, you know what? Let, I'm just going to put my cards on the table. Yeah. I definitely did not enjoy this movie as much as you did. That's fair. But it's not because the movie was bad. It's because this movie made me genuinely upset. This and that's movie, part of the point. Yeah, exactly. So I can't, I, it's not like I can be mad. It's not like... The movie's bad or it didn't right. do what it set out to do it's just there's something that happens 30 minutes in that genuinely made me like turned my stomach well let's talk about it because we're in the spoiler full section all right there's a dead baby in this movie yeah and it is very dead and it happens so the whole thing is sick boy and his lady friend and we don't even know at that point whose baby it is that's either. right there's just there's this apartment where they all gather and there's a lady who lives there yeah who mother says, superior it's mother superior's apartment and then it's at that point in time, it's Sick Boy's girlfriend. Right, right. So anyways, they all gather there to do heroin, and there's kind of just this baby kind of wandering around. And like, the first couple times it happens, it's kind of, f it's funny in like a very dark way. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, one of the first scenes of the movie is them all doing heroin, and this baby is just wandering around. And you're right. just kind of like, ha ha, Like, yeah. it's funny in like a very bleak way, but then there's this moment when they all fall off the wagon, and then the mom starts crying and rent boy even narrates like she might have been crying out for a while yeah. before i came to and then yeah they all go to the crib and the baby's dead yeah it died and it's really dead yeah it like died like it dehydrated malnourished like neglect like, yeah completely neglected and what's even more heartbreaking is sick boy who we find out then is the father he demands that mark say something hmm. and the only thing mark could think to say is i'm gonna shoot up yeah. And then they all go into the other room. They all do heroin and the grieving mother says she needs a hit and Mark is like he narrates something like I gave her a hit but after me. Yeah. And it's it's the TSN turning point of the movie because yeah. up until this point this movie it's funny, it's stylish like you're like oh, you know, like doing <laughs> heroin, but heroin everybody's having a yeah. good time. Like nothing's really going wrong at this point and and then that happens. It's almost like there's early in the movie like so Tommy, the older brother friend who's got his shit together, he has mm -hmm. this girlfriend and like him and his girlfriend made a sex tape mm -hmm. and Mark steals it. Yeah. And it's kind of framed as like, tee hee, it's a little yeah. mischievous little prank. You're right. kind of like, oh, that little scamp. And then yeah. there's a scene where like he, Tommy's girlfriend wants to have sex while they play the sex tape. Right. And she realizes that he doesn't have it or that he lost it and yeah. he's worried that he might have accidentally returned it to the video store yeah and like she's clearly very upset but it's kind of funny you're right. like haha ha, uh yeah what are those lovable little scamps gonna get up to next yep and then dead baby and you're just like ooh, it's like a punch right in the stomach right you're yeah. like ooh, like the consequences are much more dire than i thought yeah yeah, yeah. and and that's where like, I'm going to compare this to Requiem for a Dream because Requiem for a Dream, like, it shows every character over time, like, whether they're trying to be better or not, like, eventually succumb to whatever addiction or or problem they have. Whereas this one, it's almost in a way more sinister because it draws you in like, oh, this is happy fun times. Like, you know, they're doing drugs, but, you know, things haven't really gone wrong. Like, the worst thing that's happened so far is the loss of the sex tape and maybe Spud pooping himself in the bed. Um, <laughs> oh, Spud. And and that's really, like you said, the dead baby is just, like, the biggest mic drop of, of 
film of yeah. all time, like one of the biggest mic drops of film, where it's just like the next thirty minutes, there's not a laugh. Like you're sitting there, like this, like this isn't good. Like none of this yeah. is is happy. Like there's the the life has been has been sucked out of this movie, basically. The but, air has all been sucked out of the room. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a really great quote actually at that point in time. And I'm just going to just bring up a section of it. Our only response was to keep on going and fuck everything. Pile misery upon misery, heap it up on a spoon, and dissolve it with a drop of bile, then squirt it into a stinking, puerile vein and do it all over again. And that is a really great way to describe the next 30 minutes of this movie. Is like, let's watch everything spiral out of control. And on that point, I talked about the whole stealing the sex tape thing from Tommy. It's framed as kind of funny, but then... As a result of that, Tommy's girlfriend breaks up with him. And as a result of that, Tommy decides he wants to try heroin. And as a result of that, he ends up dying of HIV and cat feces. And that's that's a really interesting part of the movie. Because on your first watch, you might have missed it. But there's already some hints in there that Tommy's relationship with his girlfriend is not going well. Yeah. Um, that they're they're on kind of the brink of breaking up. There's a really funny part when they're all at the bar together and Spud and Tommy are talking about relationship stuff and Gail and Lizzie, their girlfriends, come back and those two <laughs> say, what are you two talking about? And those two yell back, football, what are you talking about? And they both yell back, shopping at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a really comical scene, but there's also that underlying of like Tommy's relationship is on the right Because he was talking to Spud about how he forgot her birthday and he bought tickets to Iggy Pop. Right. And then Spud's like, well, what are you going to do? Like, are you going to go to her birthday or are you going to go to Iggy Pop? And he's like, well, I paid for the ticket. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so here's an interesting argument here. Bagby is the clear and obvious worst character right off the bat. But you could almost make an argument that Mark is n- almost on the same tier as Begby because Mark is really a cause or one of the causes of Tommy's untimely death on like later in the movie yeah like um, tommy says to him like there's that scene where he says i want to try heroin like yeah. i'm an adult like yeah. and mark's just like eh, well whatever. mark's too messed up to even yeah try to dissuade him at that point right yeah and so so it's kind of sad and like i think you could debate either right because i think that the trajectory of tommy's relationship was going to end up in in at that point um, but Tommy's not malicious. He's just a dumb dude in his 20s. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know. Yeah, and so that's, that's. you mean Mark? Do you mean Mark or? Well, I was, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, yeah, I see your point. Like, Tommy's just kind of a dumb dude in his 20s. Yeah. And like, if he wasn't friends with Mark, yeah. he probably would have, you know, been sad for a while, then just bounced back. He right. would have been fine. But right. because he, there's a really great line Tommy says where he's telling that story about big b flying off the handle and he says something like well he's a psycho but he's a mate so what are you gonna do and i'm like that's almost the tagline for this movie yeah you know how the friends you have can just drag you down into oblivion yeah it's very important like like there's there's some sort of law out there or psychological thing where it's like you're you are the combination of the your five closest friends yeah yeah that old that old cliche and this movie almost kind of proves it like i mean um again like i mentioned earlier you kind of it's hard not to like mark for some reason Mm -hmm. you know it's owen mcgregor he's always likable but like as the movie goes on like him stealing that tape Mm -hmm. is kind of what sets tommy up for his big dramatic fall right and you could argue that like he was just playing a little a cheeky little prank, but ugh. yeah. But like I said, I think their relationship was heading towards that direction anyway. But it did speed things up, and then because of who Mark is and their group of friends is, it led Tommy into a very dark place. Yeah, and, and Mark himself was too messed up and not in a place to dissuade Tommy from doing drugs. Yeah, because I think I think if this had happened five years in the future of of where these characters are at, Mark would have been like, "You you shouldn't do this, man. Like I've been through it. Like I I know where where you're at right now, and this is not the answer." Absolutely, like, ugh, yeah, I'm getting like queasy just remembering. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. let's let's t- let's talk about some more lighthearted stuff. Is well, this the best use? Of- okay. Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say. Th- speaking of Mark being a little unlikable, <laughs> there is that one pretty awkward thing that happens in this movie that we should maybe talk about. Sure. 
he accidentally has sex with an underage woman. Yep. And it seems to continue the relationship. Yep. And holy crap, has that not aged well? No, I mean, so in this situation, she's at the bar. She picks him up. Essentially. And he doesn't know anything at this point. Like, completely clueless. And once he finds out, he tries to cut things off and say, there's no way in hell. And she says, well, there is because you're either going to keep talking to me or, or I'm, I'm going to go, go to the police. police. Yeah. So he's not in, like he's in a lose lose situation here. You can't just pin this on like Mark's a bad guy for sleeping with an underage woman. Mm-hmm. And I will say that like Diane's the one shining aspect in his life. She is the only person. She is the most adult person in his fa- his friends and family. That's a very interesting way of putting it but yeah like she kind of they have a chat later on in the movie where she basically just tells him like the world's changing blah 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 and that's what inspires him to move to london and get a job as a real estate agent right which i guess you can just fall right into but (laughs) (laughs) there's that really funny scene where he wakes up after the night and he goes into the kitchen. Her parents are there like, oh, do you want some coffee? He's like, so are your flatmates? And they're like, oh, that's funny. That's a new one. Yeah. <laughs> and then she comes in in like her high school schoolgirl outfit. And it's just like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh-oh. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. I don't think it's problematic, but there's going to be people who are going to be squeamish about that. Yeah. I was definitely, well. I don't think it's problematic in the sense that like. Mark didn't go out of his way to sleep with an underage girl. It's definitely, it's not framed as a good thing. No, obviously not. It's not framed as a good thing. But it's not like this movie knows what it's doing with that. Yeah, it's clearly not okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's so... And this movie isn't trying to make it okay either. Yeah. Is what I'm trying to say, I guess. But it makes it complicated in that you're right, she does kind of give him good life advice yeah so. she's basically his guardian angel in this movie the only sh- weird, shining beacon well of- i never thought of it like that but what a weird that almost kind of highlights just kind of how pathetic mark is though right yeah like if this high school girl is more adult and more mature than he is that's what i mean like yeah i've seen this movie a lot right so i've had a lot of time to think about some of this stuff fair enough do you think this is the best use of narration in film and i'm gonna give you what five or six other movies to compare to okay goodfellas fight club shawshank redemption taxi driver american psycho apocalypse now six greatest narration heavy movies of all time do you think this is the best use of the narration i don't know that it's fair to compare it to those other movies but like this not movie, the movies but the narration the aspect narration yeah you got to think about that because this movie like i said is heavily narrated by ewan mcgregor mark renton yeah the narration, some of the, the, we were just, we were talking before we started recording. This is one of the most quotable movies I've ever heard. Yeah. Like, you know, that thing I was just saying, like, he's a psycho, but he's a mate. <laughs> or like, there's one quote that I, when he's first trying to get sober at the start of the movie and he mm-hmm. steals some Valium from his mom and he says something like, you know, in her own sad legal way, my mother is also a drug addict. Yep. I was like, all right, fair enough. So. Well, and I mean, the movie starts off with one of the most like famous quotes of all time which is the choose life quote right yeah Um, yeah which at the beginning of the movie it means one thing it's like spitting in the face of the choose life campaign in the uk which was like the anti-drug campaign and oh i didn't get that yeah well it's research that you you kind of have to know the background of of the uk at the time but so it's kind of spitting in the face of like you know you could live a boring life or you could have all this exciting time on heroin and and that that changes in the end where where mark realizes you know what like there were consequences to what we did and maybe this like quiet life and and the structure of of the nine to five like maybe there is something there to like having a family and and being an adult yeah let's talk about the ending because how uh, okay i watched the movie for the first time last night and Mm -hmm. the ending struck me as disingenuous let me rephrase mark struck me as disingenuous at the end Hmm. like he steals so the deal is him and his friends kind of get some heroin and they sell it to some mobsters and they all get sixteen thousand pounds and they're all going to split it four ways Mm -hmm. and then at the end mark decides to just grab the money and run right and he leaves four grand for four thousand pounds for uh spud which because spud never hurt nobody his own words and he runs off and he has this big narration where he basically says, like, 
I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. It's something like, I'm going to be just like you. And then he just wanders off and it's like the camera unfocuses and then it cuts to black. Right. To me, something seems sinister about that ending to me. That's interesting because I, I don't feel the same way because, and here's, here's why I'll say that is because the last 30 minutes of the movie, we see Mark try to go off on his own, try to be a better person, try to try to be an adult, basically, and try to build that structure in his, his life. And his friends keep dragging him down. Yeah. Yeah. And his friends keep dragging him down. And so, and he's at the point where he's so burnt out by them because he's like, I'm, I'm so close. I'm so close to just being okay. And every time these guys show up, they just, just cause all this chaos in my life again and so this final this final moment here i mean at this point in time we know begbie's crazy and he's he's a psychopath at some point he's going to kill somebody right and Um, sick boy kind of they have that scene at the bar where sick boy kind of says like he goes off to the bathroom and he comes back and he's basically taunts him like why didn't you run off with the money i would have yeah like, and, and, yeah. and that's what he says too in the final quote is like he doesn't feel bad for sick boy because if sick boy had thought of it first he would have done it as well right right and so that's where like for me it was genuine because it was like i think he like he was at the point he was almost there and his friends dragged him down because his friends knew where he was that's um, you know what there's there's that moment when he's in his London apartment, mm-hmm. but he's sitting on his bed eating instant ramen and smoking a cigarette, which I mean, that just smacks of luxury to me. <laughs> but like, he does have that narration where he's, he admits he's almost content. Yeah. So yeah, that's a fair point. And so yeah, that for me, I, I I'm happy with the ending. I, I think that it it justifies everything. There's there's that gut punch where like you know Spud's awake when he's leaving, and you're like, oh like goddamn, like you know you feel Poor just so Spud. bad for him. Yeah. And then and then Mark does. The, like leave him a little bit of cash at the end maybe part of the reason i found it disingenuous is that i did watch part of the sequel and i know what happened to spud and everyone so i was kind of yeah you're coming in a weird place slightly yeah also like i don't know that i was rooting for mark by the end of the movie that's fair i was kind of like i don't know man like you're not a great guy so yeah. that's that's completely fair as well like if, if you're not rooting for him like yeah him succeeding at the end maybe isn't right but i don't know like at the same time though like he's he's basically the embodiment of drug addiction in this movie right and to see him be able to get clean and, and move on with his well, he's life like an every like, he's like the everyman drug addict character yeah exactly yeah. and so like that's like the shiny beacon and i guess that's, that's I, where you contrast with wrecking for a dream right where everybody goes off like everybody ends up at the worst possible point and there's no happiness at the end i guess we've seen mark get clean a couple times in the movie yeah but he almost always ends up collapsing right back into it right sometimes through his friends Sometimes through again, we've t- I mentioned before this movie does kind of tackle the more mental health aspects of yep. drug addiction and how like when Mark there's a great scene early in the movie when like they're all sober mm-hmm. and Mark and Sick Boy they decide to go to a park and shoot BB guns at dogs like they're mm-hmm. just they're so bored they're so miserable they're so disenfranchised this is the only thing they can think to do <laughs> and then I think after that scene there's a narration where it's like we decided to get back on heroin right away. Right. I might be remembering that wrong. No, but no, it's no. That's, close. that's pretty much <laughs> yeah. it. Like, I think some one other bad thing happens, but uh, and that's such a funny scene too. Yeah. Because it's so terrible, but you can't help but laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's back. That's back in the first act when things seem funny. And yeah. Mischievous. Yeah. Not terrifying. Yeah. And horrible. Yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite quotes is, uh, and this is also one of my favorite scenes of the movie, and I'm going to explain why, is when the guys all go out into the middle of the Scottish uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, wilderness, basically, because Tommy wants to go on kind of a nature walk. Tommy, the healthy one, wants to go on a hike. Yeah. And it's really funny because it, this is kind of in the wake of all of their crazy nights and all of all of what happened with like Tommy and his girlfriend and Spud and his girlfriend. Like, it's kind of like, you know, the post, like, how are these characters going to all respond to all of their situations and everything going on? And so it's kind of building up like, okay, this is going to be an interesting talk where everybody maybe learns something like everybody's, you know, going to talk about their problems. Like maybe there's, you know, Tommy's going to bring up the tape and then mark will maybe, say something maybe like we're maybe all we'll get some redemption something. here yeah. right 
and and so nobody's happy to go out here except for Tommy. And then so they're walking, and Tommy says, uh, "Doesn't make you proud to be Scottish." And then, like I said, one of my favorite quotes of the entire movie is Mark just going off on him. And so I'm gonna say the quote: "It's shite being Scottish. We're the lowest of the low, the scum of the fucking earth, the most wretched, miserable, servile, pathetic trash that was ever shat into civilization." <laughs> Some hate the English. I don't. They're just wankers. We, on the other hand, are colonized by wankers. Can't even find a decent culture to be colonized by. We're ruled Jeez. by effort arseholes. It's a shit state of affairs to be in, Tommy. And all the fresh air in the world won't make it any fucking difference. And Jesus. and the scene and everybody just sits there sit, thinking about that for a sec, and they turn and walk away. <laughs> and end of scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost. It's. I didn't just thinking about it in hindsight. Like it almost. It's almost kind of a metaphor for like what happens to Tommy, right? Right. Like he wants to go have this nice nature walk and climb this mountain and they're just dead weight pulling him back with them. Yeah, that's a really yeah. great way to think of it as well. Like they're just dragging him into their own despair. Yeah. And I, I just, I really love it because like I said, it's building towards something. Like it feels like the movie is going one way and Mark just completely shuts it down. <laughs> yeah. Fuck your nature walk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, they're, none of them are just ready to deal with any other problems yet. And that's and it's, really It's evident. funny because, like, they're all drinking, too. Like, I think Mark is literally drinking from, like, a bottle yeah. of, like, scotch or something. Yeah, they're all having beers and stuff. Yeah, they're all having tall boys. Tommy's the only sober one yep. at the moment, anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's a great way. I did read Roger Ebert's review of this movie. And he nice. talked. Yeah, it's. I, I'm, I was a film major. It's the law. And it's just <laughs> how, like, he mentions how, like, they're so strung out and they're so like broken. They can't even do something as simple as go for a nature walk. Yeah. Like they just can't find any meaning or joy in it. Ooh, I'm depressed now. But <laughs> <laughs> What do you think of the worst, the uh, dirtiest toilet in Scotland scene? That was another moment where, okay, context. So they're yeah. the first time Mark decides he's going to try to wean himself off heroin he's gonna lock himself in his apartment with all these supplies but he decides he needs one more hit so he goes to that one guy and he gets opium suppositories. Irvine Welsh Irvine Welsh he gets opium suppositories but I guess heroin makes you constipated so suddenly he's not constipated anymore yeah so he has to go to the dirtiest toilet in Scotland which just it looks like a portal to hell <laughs> and he accidentally shits out the opium suppositories so then yeah. He, you see him reaching into the bowl, and it's like, oh god, it's, it's so gross. It's like something out of Silent Hill. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he just rip, slides right down the toilet. Yeah. That's another moment early on where I was sitting up a little straighter, where I'm yeah. just like, I'm listening. This and movie has some very surreal aspects to it, and, yeah. and I think that's going to appeal to like a certain type of audience as well, right? Because that's like almost like a subgenre of movies. Like we talked about a little bit with Eight and a Half, and how some directors will use that more mm -hmm. at, or more or less effectively. And I think that this movie uses those dream like sequences, their surreal aspects, really effectively because yeah. it's, it's it's only used a couple of times, but every time, in my opinion, it's used, it's used really well. The scene where his parents lock him in a bedroom, yeah. To get him off heroin and like the walls start expanding and the music is just like boom 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 yeah, yeah and then like he like pulls the sheets up over his head and bigby is down there with him yep. and like uh the dead baby crawling on the ceiling yep. like and the head turns around like the exorcist i was genuinely like i was upset yeah. like this scene was making me I wasn't sure whether I should start laughing or start crying or both at the same time. Yeah. So it's it's very effective. It's it's so nightmarish. Yeah. And like there's that other scene where he's in the drug dealer's apartment and he ODs and like he's laying on this like kind of felty, fuzzy red carpet. He yeah. gets high on heroin and it just sinks into the carpet. Right. It's yeah, this movie yeah, it does dream sequences really, really well. Mm-hmm. And they're not distracting. They kind of help you figure out that scene where he's locked in the room. Like I was kind of watching it. Like this is probably what it's like to wean off heroin. Yeah, like it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is there any quotes or scenes that you want to talk about before we move into the effects and filming? Because we're kind of starting to touch around that. There's a, there's a few uh, points in those scenes that I want to discuss a little bit. Further. I was gonna bring up the "it's shit being Scottish" quote, but you can't yeah. beat me to it. So <laughs> let's what, move on. It's my favorite scene in the movie, probably. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay, effects and filming. Uh, so let's start with the title itself, because Train Spotting is a weird 
title to sell this movie to people. Yeah. Um, and so the reason why... there's Not to cut you off, that yep. scene where they lock him in his childhood bedroom and there's all the trains on the walls, yeah. I was like, is that why it's called Trainspotting? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so the reason why it's called Trainspotting is... Basically, it started out like uh, Irvine Welsh said that it was kind of a euphemism for taking drugs. Like it was often done in a train station in Scotland. Mm, um, that makes sense. And so eventually, like the reason why he really he adopted that as the title is because it's an obsessive hobby. Like train spotting itself is an obsessive hobby that is not understood by people who do not practice it. Um, is train spotting a hobby like, yeah like apparently like bird, like bird watching, watching yeah but for trains yeah exactly right, we, yeah okay weirdos uh, so basically like like heroin like on the from the outside looking in you just can't understand why you would ever do heroin you know i i, I on my first episode of this here podcast we're mm-hmm. doing i mentioned a book by stephen pressfield the war of art and how Pressfield argues that sometimes drug addiction is a way to, is a form of resistance, i.e. like it's a form of, it's a self-defeating way of not pursuing your dreams. And he mentioned something that I thought was really interesting that this movie reminded me of. He pointed out how an addict's life is mind-numbingly boring. You're Hmm. just going from one fix to the other. It's cyclical. You're not going anywhere. It is broken and tedious mm-hmm. and that really this movie really highlighted that yeah so we kind of talked about this earlier how like the ambiguity to mark's character and whether or not he's a good person whether or not you like him and and that was that was very much by design mm-hmm. so the writers of the the screenwriters of the movie basically described mark as being a character that's repulsive but also has charm like he's yeah essentially makes you feel deeply ambiguous about what he's doing at any given time mm-hmm. also if like if you have a loved one who's an addict you can kind of relate to that yeah like that weird mixture of like pity and love but also occasionally like scorn like it's yeah it's a complicated cocktail of emotions it's like when you and i were watching uh the tom green stand-up special that's on youtube and he was like you know he's like you know if your uh, kids are murder he's like he's still got a love but they're a murder <laughs> yeah, uh, basically and, and yeah, he's yeah, like yeah. you know he's like the people you hate are the the family of the the guy he murdered <laughs> <laughs> this is a weird example but i remember um you know, Vince Gilligan, the creator of Breaking Bad, was mm-hmm. talking about how like fans would come up to him like late in the show's run and be like, I don't know if I can root for Walt anymore. And Vince Gilligan would just be like, I stopped rooting for him years ago. What, <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> That's such a great point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's great that like in this movie, there's there's movies where you're either actively not rooting for the main character, and most movies you're actively rooting for the main character. This one's a weird one. You could go either way. Like you you didn't want to root for Mark by the yeah, end. Yeah, I think I told you the fin- the final scene made me kind of queasy because yeah. I didn't like the guy yeah. by the end. Anyway, kind of going into how Ewan McGregor prepared for this, so he he did a lot of research into drug overdose drug use like heroin he almost took it himself and i did read decided that. <laughs> that was probably a bad idea hey Ewan, that was a good call buddy <laughs> yeah 100 percent. but he actually met with the the calton athletic recovery group like a, a group of recovering heroin addicts to kind of learn like their thoughts and and what like their experience was it's really cool because they ended up actually giving those guys a part in the movie in the uh the intro when we're getting introduced to everybody the football team that they're playing against is is those group of guys oh yeah i forgot about that yeah so yeah. i think it's i think that's a really cool tribute to to the actual people who have struggled with these issues that um, was kind of nice of them it's yeah. like you get to be in the movie can i just say that ewan mcgregor a notoriously handsome man looks like shit in this movie <laughs> like <laughs> again he looks like a heroin addict yep. like again very much by design yeah. very well done like shaving his head was a, a gr- great idea shaving his head losing weight like he's yeah. got like he lost like yeah like 20 30 pounds for this movie for this yeah role. he looks so like like i'm a slight slim guy but yep. i was looking at him like oh my god yeah like, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The worst toilet in Scotland. Uh, so the poop was actually chocolate. Thank um, God. <laughs> <laughs> to ease everybody. Apparently it smelled very good. <laughs> well, that, now I'm, that I don't think I can ever eat chocolate again. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Robert Carlyle. The way he played his role it was as a closeted gay man is is how he how he envisioned Bagby the character. That's very interesting. Um, I did read that myself. Yeah. I didn't pick up on that. 
in the movie itself. Although, I don't know if, I think I read this. I don't know if this is right. I think Mark is openly bisexual in the book. And there's definitely moments in the movie where I'm like looking at him and I'm like, hmm. Yeah, they're like. My gaydar was twitching. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I think heroin in their situation was like a very polygamous situation at that point. There's a very, there's a moment really early in the movie where Spud is high on heroin and he like leans over and gives sick boy a really passionate kiss yep. and it's they kind of just laugh it off yeah it's very interesting yeah but yeah i think it's really funny and uh irvine also kind of said that he kind of had written that into the novel that he was kind of ambiguous about his sexuality i could see it though like being like him being the short angry guy and and just trying to bury that really deep down just making him an angrier person well there's that moment when he it's a really quick moment it almost kind of passed me by when mm-hmm. he's in london ruining mark's life and right. he hooks up with this lady but then he kind of she turns out to be like a guy or right. something yep and he's really kind of upset about it and then mark is kind of just like oh come on man like what's the big deal i think he makes a joke like what yeah. are you scared you're gonna like it yeah and bigby's really upset about that joke yeah it's like don't you ever make that joke right. so i could see it the choose life monologue at the beginning of the film almost didn't end up being at the beginning of the movie it Interesting. was the original plan was to have it right in the middle of the movie but Danny Boyle couldn't figure out how he wanted to open the movie. So they ended up moving that at the beginning, which, again, like you said, it really draws you in, like the whole scene and, and everything going on. I think opening it at any other place would have been a mistake. Yeah, I agree. And again, in the second movie is where kind of they talk about like the background of the True's Life campaign. So once you watch the second movie in full, it kind of explains like stuff, the background yeah. of that. When it was originally released in the u.s they actually uh dubbed over some of the lines in the first 20 minutes basically the each of the cast members kind of re-dubbed their lines kind of easing up on the scottish accents a little bit so that <laughs> you can kind funny. of ease into it i definitely watched this movie with captions on <laughs> I, I i mean i've seen it so many times that i i know pretty much every line in the movie so it doesn't bother me necessarily but yeah there's going to be some people that are going to want to watch subtitles on this one yeah bill Hader has a great bit about watching british crime movies it, like uh, they're just like and then suddenly they're on a plane you're like wait what (laughs) (laughs) i yeah irish accents i hear crystal clearly scottish was like so so but like i said i've seen this movie a bunch bunch of times british accents some of them are hit or miss for me i just i really struggle with some of those yeah you know what was that irish movie you and i just watched on new year's eve uh Uh, colin farrell yeah banshees of inisherin yeah i have to say i think i'm starting to fall in love with the irish vernacular (laughs) just like the way of speaking like how they end sentences with like yeah like it's very it's it's a little intoxicating yeah i agree i like it i hope some people like our a's as well i hope so too we don't have accents though no that's what What? everybody's got an accent i know i'm just being silly there's a lot of (laughs) there's a lot of white canadians that like to pretend that we don't have accents yeah we're just speaking properly the rest of you are getting it wrong So we talked about this before, but the scene where Mark overdoses and he falls into the floor was a really interesting way that they did that is they basically built a platform um, with a trap door. Because like I said, this is a very low budget movie. So they kind yeah. of like, they obviously didn't have a lot of like ways to use CGI or anything like that, especially time of when this movie came out. Not so 19... it's just a trap door that just lowered him straight down into the floor. So really you got to admire the special effects in this movie because yeah. yeah, they were doing it all. They were doing it all physically yeah 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 and, and that honestly i prefer it that way mm-hmm. the, like use what you have around you and and i think it comes off as more genuine agreed i'm i'm not a stickler for cgi you know i mean i'm not i'm not anti-cgi but yeah you have to kind of admire the um it's like when you watch the original king kong you're like wow some a-hole had to just move these puppets around right? <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um and and this is going to segue into score really well in that scene where he's overdosing they use the song perfect day which is like a great use of that song i will say um not to cut you off yeah i've said before i don't normally pay attention to score or music in movies mm-hmm. i did notice the score in this movie i'm so glad you said that i, I was, was like hmm. that. like there were multiple moments i'm like okay i'm into it yeah the score is one of the greatest scores of all time in a movie period and that's part of what adds to the style of the film mm-hmm. um there's a lot of iggy pop there's a lot of english <laughs> punk in the film um, there's even some electronic music. Uh, so it's kind of a mix between those three and they use them all 
and some classic rock as well, but they use them all at certain points of the movie. Like there's certain aspects where they're trying to highlight using different songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite song was the song Atomic by Sleeper, uh, which is actually a uh, redub or a, a cover of that song. That's the song they play during the nightclub scene where everything's building up, uh, where it's like, can we talk about how funny that nightclub scene is? Yes. Mark has... He's not doing heroin anymore, so his libido is returned, and yeah. he's just kind of standing there all He's alone. like one of the awkward guys standing on the yeah, wall. Yeah, 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 and all his friends are uh, hooking up with girls, mm-hmm. and it's just one of those moments I think every guy has had where it just seems like everyone around you is getting laid, and you're not. <laughs> <laughs> not that I can relate to that at all, but <laughs> yeah, and then he hooks up with, uh, what's her name? Dan. That was pretty funny, though, that yeah. scene where he's just... By the way, he looks ridiculous in that scene. Like, yeah. he's wearing a t-shirt, like, two yes, sizes Jess too small. Yes, brought that up, too. Like, that was one of those moments where I'm like, wait, is Mark a little... <laughs> does Mark play for both teams? It's cool if he does, yep. but, like, he's wearing a t-shirt that's too small, like, his midriff is exposed, yep. and then, like... He's just kind of like standing there like he's got uh, I'm really censoring myself right now, but it was pretty funny. (laughs) Yeah, that's one of like that's also probably one of my favorite scenes of the movie. And it just the way it flows, it's almost like a montage between everything going on with all the different characters. And it just it's cut very well, like it's edited extremely well, as well as just being so entertaining and, and the music and everything kind of coming together in that one scene it was really good yeah the album itself for this movie was extraordinarily popular when it came out and sold extremely well i've listened to the album once since i watched this this week and like i gotta say it's it's pretty good listen uh, is it yeah okay. it's a pretty good listen um and it did so well actually that they had released a second album um for the movie at just after the time it came out including some songs that they didn't put on the first album from the movie interesting as, as well as some songs that didn't quite make the cut for the movie but uh we're like kind of in the discussion of like these are relevant songs for this movie kind of thing so kind of cool like if if you really like the uh score of this then there's there's two albums that you can listen to two albums yeah which is really great one was not enough yeah I, I it's really good music i this is almost my genre of music like this movie probably had a because of when I watched it, has I don't know that I've influence. ever asked you about your genre of music. Yeah, but I this guess is, now if I really want to know, it's I kind can... of a mixture of like like I'm a big rock fan, but I do like electronic music here and there. And and like I said, I think this music or this movie did influence my taste in music a little bit because I do listen to a lot of the musicians inspired by a lot of the uh, musicians of this movie because it's a little bit like older uh, musicians like Iggy Pop's been around since forever right yeah yeah um but yeah so the way that it flows through the pop music of the 70s is where basically like those musicians like Iggy Pop are kind of associated with drug use so that's where they use that while they're doing drugs and then the 90s Britpop era is they use in in other points in the movie and then there's the techno dance music of the 90s as well which is kind of yeah. flows throughout the movie so but funny story here so a ba- a little band known as oasis uh one of the largest british bands of all time i've heard was asked to contribute a song to the movie but noel gallagher turned it down because he thought that the movie was about actual train spotters <laughs> shut up that's really funny <laughs> yeah and he ended up going to the release of the movie and and really enjoying the movie but at the time when he was asked he did not understand what was going on at all you so, know norm mcdonald has a joke about how he's like ah, oh, it's like if they put grapes of wrath in the grape section yeah yeah all right, look back at the times. So we don't talk about this as much, but there's two things I want to talk about here. The, a, the movie poster. Really love the movie poster of this one of all of them, like almost, uh, it, it's like a comical aspect of like them standing in like a line kind of thing. It almost looks like an album cover. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a little bit that because it's almost like a reference to the Beatles or something, but I really, really like it. Tommy's not on it. He's the only one who's not on it because he uh, he was off shooting something else while they were doing the photos and he couldn't make it. Sorry, Tommy. Uh, which is also funny enough because he's the only character that actually dies so funny that he (laughs) didn't appear on there the marketing of the film they actually basically and this is kind of attributed to why the movie ended up being as successful as it was is they basically like 
took from Pulp Fiction's page book about how they would market it. So they just like just completely flooded the market with like postcards and posters and soundtrack and and just like everything. Like they even uh, redid a music video of for Lust for Life with Iggy Pop and uh, Danny Boyle actually directed it himself. So interesting. Yeah. That's a very you know I'm I'm I'm. Spoiler alert, for those of you who don't know, I'm working on a book and I'm looking at ways of marketing it. That's mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah. Maybe I'll be just as punk rock and obnoxious about it. Nice. <laughs> um, sequels, prequels, and reboots. Something we've kind of been alluding to for a while now. So it's based on the 1993 novel Trainspotting by Irvine Welsh, who we mentioned is kind of the uh, the lesser prominent drug dealer who who gives mark the amphetamines to get through his first his first kind of withdrawal at the beginning of the movie how poetic is that that the author is the guy inflicting more harm on his own characters yeah love it um <laughs> perfect there, there's a sequel book and movie called t2 train spotting which we also mentioned previously the second novel of the series is actually called porno that's right i really enjoyed the second film i i have nothing bad to say to it if you like the first movie you're going to like the first one because it's very much same pacing same characters same comical situations there's like also this darkness to it like it's it's a really good movie i highly recommend it to people who like this one i Um, enjoyed the first half of it (laughs) before i had it more when you uh probably had to uh double back and watch the first movie for real yeah for sure there's actually a third prequel novel that uh, Irvine Welsh wrote as well, because he's a pretty prominent writer. Yeah, Skag Boys, right? Skag Boys, yeah. yeah. So it kind of goes into the story of the characters. Um, and on that note as well, like Train Spotting itself, the the original book actually has quite a few other characters that we don't meet in the movie. Yeah, there's uh, like two extras that just didn't show up in the movie. Yeah, they kind of consolidated some characters because Train Spotting the the book was there's a lot more story there's a lot more plot points it's it's a little bit more kind of all over the place than the movie and they try wanted to tell like a little bit more of a succinct story i think um which i think was the correct move in that situation of course but little lesser known fact here the danny boyle's first film is a movie called shallow grave which also stars ewan mcgregor and is why ewan mcgregor got this part Hmm. keith allen who i mentioned earlier uh in our first episode actually um the guy who plays the final drug dealer at the end they sell they do their big drug deal with the guy in the hotel room yeah so he is hugo the drug dealer who appears in shallow grave as hugo the drug dealer so it's the danny boyle cinematic universe yes so in this case, uh, Shallow Grave actually takes place after Trainspotting because Trainspotting, the, the setting of it is actually the 80s of Scotland. And so uh. Uh, Shallow Grave is early 90s of, of Scotland. So um, if you wanted to watch them in, in order and just have like a loose kind of connection to the movies, you could probably go Trainspotting, Shallow Grave, T2 train spot. Kind of like, doesn't Brandon Sanderson, he has all these different series, but isn't there like one recurring character yeah. that shows up in like every book he does? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of similar to that, which is kind of neat. So yeah, I haven't seen it myself, but it's definitely on my list now to check out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that guy was good. Like he was only in it for like one scene, but yeah. like you could, he had a very, very menacing professional aura, you know? So legacy of the movie so the film is referenced uh, in several other important films that follow it, and they're movies that we've talked about already on this podcast. So Fight Club and Requiem for a Dream uh, both have direct references to this movie within them. You know, it's funny. Um, we've talked about before how when a movie becomes iconic, it starts yep. getting parodied, yep. and the scene where uh, Renton is locked in his bedroom and like trying to get off heroin. Yep. Family Guy made fun of that scene. Oh, yeah. When Stewie's trying to get off pancakes, and they actually show... <laughs> They show another Stewie crawling on the ceiling, just like nice. the baby. And yep. it's really surreal to be like, oh, I've seen this scene in Family Guy. Yeah. You're like, oh, they're making, oh, this movie is making fun of Family Guy. They're like, no, wait, Family Guy is making fun of this movie. Yeah. Like yeah. this, this movie has been referenced and parodied like literally dozens of times, like closing in on a hundred times in TV uh, shows since. Like there's a chance if you haven't seen this movie and this is your first watch that you'll know a scene or two from a parody or a reference. In yeah. And movie. it's, it's something to be said when like a movie becomes so famous that like I kind of went in knowing, oh, it's the hair the scottish heroin movie right yeah, yeah yeah for sure but it's similar to jaws i would say like where you know there's a reason why it was parodied and referenced so many times and and there's nothing like getting that first watch in of of a movie like this or jaws. like your first hit of heroin yeah exactly yeah, exactly <laughs> 
Uh, let's talk personal reviews of the Partner Factor. So I'll go first since it's very obvious this was my choice of movies. I love this movie. It's one of my all-time favorites. Uh, like we said in the first episode, like it kind of slots into the genre of, of some of my other favorite movies with Pulp Fiction and Snatch and, and even Fight Club. Um, can I guess Jess's review? Uh, you can in a minute. Okay. I'll, 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 I want to finish mine's kind of uh, rounded out. So it's a movie that I actually return to semi-frequently for a movie that's like, you know, it's kind of a, a black comedy. Like, I, I'm a fan of black comedy, I guess. Um, Me too. And, and darkness. And so I, I probably watch this one like once every three to five years. And, and part of it is McGregor's performance that I think is really great. And this was what I was going to actually come back to earlier and I forgot is uh, the narration aspect and, and whether or not this is one of the greatest narration films of all time. I think Ewan McGregor is maybe one of the best film narrators of all time because you can really hear the emotion in his voice while he's narrating. Let's like recently movie that we watched was Platoon with uh, charlie sheen yeah charlie sheen and like think of the contrast between those two narrators like there are times when you can hear like the joy in ewan mcgregor's voice or the like the devoidness of joy the anger the self-loathing like, the emptiness all of, yeah, yeah the emptiness all of that is there and and ewan mcgregor really sells it and i think ewan mcgregor is is somebody who would make a really great voice actor because he knows how to add that kind of emotion into his voice whereas i think with charlie sheen there was nothing of that there in his i mean god it's it's not even fair to yeah. compare <laughs> owen mcgregor is in a league all on his own yeah and another, sorry charlie another actual movie that i didn't uh mention in my narration top list was uh dances with wolves i watched that very recently never and, seen it oh what's his name Oh, Dances with Wolves. Do you mean uh, Avatar on Earth? Yeah. <laughs> um, Kevin Costner. I, yep. I think that Kevin Costner also was more similar to Charlie Sheen in that he it felt like he was reading lines and not we weren't hearing the inside of the character's mind as much. You know, I loved Kevin Costner in Better Call Saul. <laughs> that oh, took God. you a second all yeah. right i'm sorry but um, uh <laughs> but yeah so that's yeah. that's that's where i sit with his narration i think it's great i've always empathized with spud like you know i that that heartbreaking scene where he's awake and, and he sees uh Ewan it's almost um him. like you kind of get the sense that like these four people they're bound together more by obligation and familiarity yeah. than actual friendship and love but like you kind of get the sense that ewan mcgregor or mark and spud are the only two guys who genuinely care about each other yeah i think spud is somebody who does genuinely care about everyone like i think yeah maybe spud the glue that holds it all together their friend group. like the heart of the group yeah well it's interesting there's that scene at the bar that really fantastic scene at the bar towards the climax where mm-hmm. mark kind of like looks over at spud and says let's just take the money and go like, yeah come on let's get out of here and spud's like no 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 like i don't want to do that yeah like you know blah 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 but like you almost get for me it was like is it lo- for what's holding spud back is it loyalty or is it fear yeah it, it may be a mixture of both it's probably a mixture of both at yeah. the same time spud has the chance to call mark out to stop him from running away with the money yeah and he doesn't yeah it's I mean, almost, there's, and that's probably a little bit fear because if Bagby had woken up in that moment, he would have killed Mark. Exactly, but is that, but is is it is that fear motivated by love? Like, I don't want to see Mark get hurt. Yeah, it could be a little of both. So. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, so to round out my review, I love the I love the group of friends, like, and just seeing the chaoticness to it, like, and and you know how dysfunctional it is, how how maybe they shouldn't be friends anymore and and kind of that aspect of it um, i feel like not to cut you off again yep. i've been cutting you off a lot today <laughs> maybe it's the heroin but uh there's just it really it's one of those moments where like i feel like we've all had a friendship where like mm-hmm. you've looked at it i know you know i've had a friendship recently where i've had to look at it from all angles and be like I don't know that this person is good for me. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yep. I don't know if I want to stay friends with this person. Right. It's not that I hate this person. I Spoilers, just think... it was me. <laughs> Blake, I'm breaking up with you on the podcast. <laughs> on the podcast. Yeah. No, no. But it's just, it's one of those moments where like, it's like, it's not that I hate you, but like, I just don't think you're good for me. Yeah. And maybe even vice versa. Yeah. So, so yeah, like it's, it's, that's, that's a really interesting aspect of the movie that I wanted to highlight. And I think we did, um, mm-hmm. that maybe isn't as, as considered as the obvious yeah. elephant in the room, the drug problems, the drug problem. Well, and again, it's interesting, like how I mentioned 
the movie kind of takes a slightly complex look at drug addiction. It's like, if you live in an economically depressed area, all your friends are addicts. Like, how are you going to get clean? Yeah. Like, how are you going to get clean? Like, You have to have a Diane in your life. Basically. And I think the sequel, What Parts Would I Saw, does show that, like, the way Mark got clean is he just cut and run. Yep. Like, he cut them all out. He got out of the area. He cut out his friends. Mm -hmm. And that's how he got clean. Yep. Yeah. So, for me... One of my favorites of all time definitely makes my top 20. I don't know where exactly, but it's it's not in the top five, but it's it's up there. I really love this movie. Yeah. And Jess, Jess thinks that this is a good movie as well. She gets really squeamish at the parts that you're supposed to get squeamish at. And, yeah. and for her, like the escapism kind of loses it there. Because like I said, I think Jess is more of an escapist kind of person than like, a, you know, sit down and, and really like want to go through all of these depressing moments and these these upsetting points of movies like that's not really the appeal to a movie for her but yeah it's objectively a great movie what about you let's hear your review uh i think i might have uh something i might be on your fiance's side like i actually this movie made me like it takes a lot to rattle me but this movie made me genuinely upset yep genuinely nauseous i think by the end of the movie when mark was shooting up i was starting to get like queasy almost like come on and like i mentioned like i really wanted this movie to end (laughs) yeah i was like i really hope this movie ends soon because it's just so depressing Mm -hmm. you know i i have a very high tolerance for like movies and stuff but there's one of the things i've noticed about myself is that sort of what really gets me isn't like grand tragedies like um Jason Todd getting murdered by the Joker. Like right. that's sad, but that doesn't upset me because it's it's epic. It's, it's a little it's, and it's fantastical. Yeah, as well. It's fantastical, but then just the dreary reality of economic depression and drug abuse that upsets me. Yeah, like because... fun fact: I can't watch uh, Shameless, yeah. the TV show. I find it too sad. Yeah, so <laughs> that's and you know what? Actually, I didn't even think about that, but that is a another show that if you're a fan of that, like you're probably gonna really like this because it deals with kind of a lot of similar aspects of, yeah. of life and appealing people dealing with these kind of struggles. Yeah. So again, I guess one of the things I learned about myself today is it's more the mundane tragedies that upset me. Yeah. So this movie upset me quite a lot. Yeah, and that's fair, and and you know that's also the point of the movie as well and so i think it it was effective at doing that yeah and again like i said i have a very close friend who has struggled with hard drug abuse and like yep. this movie just made me sad for them yeah it almost made me more empathetic towards I, their struggle yeah and i think it, that's again part of the point and and, and it does it really effectively mm-hmm. i liked this movie i certainly didn't enjoy it <laughs> yeah that's fair that's fair do you think no. you'll ever rewatch it Somewhere down the line, I think. Yeah. yeah. Also, maybe just like you and I are close enough to Mark Renton's age that like we can kind of get maybe the ennui, the yep. feeling of disenfranchisement that comes yep. from being in your twenties. Yep. Maybe when I'm thirty, I'll have a, I'll be a little bit removed enough to enjoy. You mean forty? Forty. Yeah, I'm already thirty. That's <laughs> that was a Freudian slip. That was denial. But uh, <laughs> when I'm forty or forty-five, I'll be able to have enough space between myself and Mark that I can enjoy it a little more. Fair enough. What a movie. What a life. Oh, what a time. Choose life, Michael. Choose life. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs hair reasons when you have heroin? Yeah, my biggest addiction right now is just caffeine, which does not make me constipated. (laughs) (laughs) True. Kind of the opposite. All right. Well, I think that's a pretty good point to leave it off on is your bowel movements. So up and coming, we have our romance episode coming in February after our two episodes of this air. And again, let us know what you think of the format because we, we're really trying to switch things up and trying to try and appeal to you, the audience. And tell us, like, does this work for you? Do you do you want it all one episode? Do you want to split up further? I don't know how we do that. Do but... you want less content more consistently or more <laughs> content less consistently? Uh, we're just going to make the amount of content that we make. I'm not trying to uh, I'm, I'm not trying to be any more succinct than I want to be. But yeah, we have our romance coming episode coming up. Uh, we haven't actually picked a movie yet. So if you have any suggestions for us, uh, last year we did When Harry Met Sally, which is again one of my t- all-time favorites. So I'm probably going to leave it up to you and Jason to decide uh, what we want to watch next or or even the audience. So Agreed. Cool. Well, then have a good one, everyone. Have a good we'll one. Talk to you next time. Join us next time for the ultimate hit. <laughs> nice. Just like drugs, you're always coming back to us. <laughs> exactly.